the Siege of New Hampshire series by Mick Rowland. Book 5, Critical Spring. Chapter 23, Watershed, Part 1. I don't see anyone, said Nathan. He slowed Donner's pace to a casual walk as the wagon rolled south along River Road. Just about to the end of the pond. Susan lifted the edge of the tarp she was hidden beneath. She could see the guardrail and the still water of the pond. Time to go, she said. Paul rolled out first. He landed on the road and crouch-walked beside the wagon, just in case there were people watching from the hills. Susan dropped to the pavement second. She helped Aaron down. The three of them veered left to roll over the guardrail into the scrub that surrounded the pond. The wagon rolled on without them. Once nestled into the brush, the group moved along the steep banks of the pond. Their goal was the railroad embankment that formed a dam, of sorts, separating the pond from the river. Some of the bushes had sprouted first leaves. Others were still bare sticks. Susan had all of her gear in her backpack or strapped to it. She had her canteen full of water and several meals worth of smoked beef, hominy, and hardtack. Both her knives were strapped to her side. Her rifle was slung to her back. Squirrel tails still decorated the forestock. At her first trip to the island, she was unprepared to trek cross-country. She vowed to be ready this time. Yet something inside her wouldn't let her trek into New Hampshire feel like a certainty. Aaron wore a small backpack of necessities for the day trip away from Five Corners. Even though a meeting with Shively was risky, Susan really wanted Aaron along for moral support for the trip to the river. Paul wore his hunting overalls and carried his battered M1 carbine. Susan's plan was for Paul to accompany her and Shively across the river. Aaron would stay safely hidden on the West River Bank for their return. They threaded their way through chest-high brush to the raised railroad embankment. Near the base of the man-made bridge stood a crude wall made of woven saplings and random branches. A veneer of oak branches still holding onto their coppery autumn leaves provided an excellent screen. No one traveling on River Road would recognize the blind as anything unnatural. I thought maybe you weren't coming, said Shively. We had to take a longer route, said Susan. Is that the medicine? She pointed to a tan canvas bag with an obvious rectangular object within. Of course, snorted Shively. Susan reached for the bag. What, you don't trust me? Shively protested. Susan stopped in mid-reach to stare a hole in his head. Fine, check it out if you want, Shively resumed looking at his watch. We've twenty minutes until the drone makes its pass. And what's he doing here? Shively pointed with his thumb over his shoulder. Paul's coming too, Susan said as she studied the little glass vials in the box. They all seemed to contain the same amount of identical-looking white powder. All of the seals looked unbroken. He's not coming said Shively. Not part of the deal. What? You never said I couldn't take someone with me. Well, I'm telling you now, he's not coming. I'm not going over there alone with you two armed to the teeth. 
you'll just rob me. Oh, no, he's not coming. Either accept the fact or the deal's off. No problem for me if I just go home. Susan was enraged and frustrated. She wasn't surprised, however. Shively's changing the terms was more common than not. She hadn't anticipated his objecting to Paul. Well, I'm not going across the river alone with you, Susan said. Her mental wheels turned. And if we don't cross over and make the deal, you won't have your silver. My guess is Squareface has already paid off someone, or a couple of someones. She is going to demand her money, not the medicine back. She could tell that her guess was accurate enough. Shively paused but firmed up. He's still not coming. No two to one. I'm not stupid. And I'm not going over there alone with you. Susan happened to glance down at Aaron, her round face anticipating the next volley of tennis ball over the net. Then I'm taking Aaron. What? Shively was clearly surprised. Paul looked alarmed. Aaron shocked. That's the deal, Susan doubled down. Aaron comes with us, or you have to explain to Squareface how you have no silver. Shively stared at Susan for a moment, then adopted his greasy smile. Fine, have it your way. We've got eighteen minutes. The stress of the change in plans had an odd effect on Susan. Suddenly, she had to pee. It wasn't urgent, but she wouldn't get a chance for relief on the island, with Shively nearby. It might be a couple of hours before they returned to the Vermont side of the river, if she returned. She decided it would be better to deal with a moderately full bladder now than a painfully full one later. I've got to go do something, Susan announced. She backed toward the edge of the blind. What? All three asked in unison. Just something, okay? I'll be back in a few minutes. Paul, you have my permission to shoot him if he attempts anything shifty. Aaron? Keep an eye on that bag. Don't let him touch it while I'm gone. But, Aaron's eyes flared wide, just watch the bag. I won't be long. Susan slipped out of the south end of the blind and traveled a dozen yards into the brush. She looked back. She could see the blind far too clearly through the leafless brambles. If she could see the blind, Shively might be able to see her. That would never do. There was no way she would allow him to see her in a vulnerable way. Susan doubled back to move north along the embankment. She looked for a patch of suitably leafed-out shrubs to hide behind. Most of them were far too sparse and spindly. Huh. What's a girl got to do to get a little privacy? One patch of shrubs looked promising, but was far too visible from the road. No one was coming by at the moment, but in mid-process would be a terrible time for someone to stroll by. She eyed the crest of the embankment. I'm going to go on the other side. I'll be done and back before the drone comes. Carefully, she picked her way over the tracks, stepping only on the dark wooden ties. The hunter in her didn't like making any unnecessary noises, even if she wasn't hunting. The side of the embankment facing the river had far more leafed-out shrubs. It was easy to find a thicket in which to conceal herself for the uh, vulnerable moments. When she felt she was nearly done with the draining, she heard voices. The stream instantly shut off. Her whole body tensed up for a moment before sinking down, 
slowly and pulling up her pants. What was that? Someone else is out here? She feared it might be fed soldiers, tipped off by Shively, waiting to catch them on the island. Maybe that was Shively's revenge for her rebuffing his grotesque advance. Paul and Aaron would be in danger, too. She had to know more. With a level of stealth reserved for hunting nervous rabbits, she made her way through the brush at the bottom of the embankment. The soil was soft and moist. The mud gave way to shallow water. There were two voices. No, three. All men. None of their words were clear. From their tone, she sensed that they were trying to be quiet, but losing their caution as they spoke. In the brush, fifteen yards ahead of her, four heads were barely visible above the stems as they swayed in conversation. She tried to creep closer to hear what they were saying, but she bumped into a low wall. It was the transom of a small boat, an aluminum duck-hunting boat painted with vertical stripes of olive and tan. The boat itself was covered with camo netting. It was beached at the point of a long, thin inlet. She risked a peek inside the boat. Paddles, fishing poles, and rifles. What's all this? I didn't want nothing to do with this, said one of the male voices. Going out in the river's way too risky. Yeah, but you didn't have any more choice than the rest of us, said a second voice. Shiv's got dirt on us all. If we don't help him like he says, he'll leak our dirt to the feds, and we're as good as dead. But I never touched her, protested the third voice. Not once. We were never alone. Oh, won't matter, said the second voice. All they need is a suggestion of a crime, and you're automatically guilty until proven innocent. Except no one gets a chance to prove they're innocent. You just disappear. That doesn't seem like enough, said a fourth voice. We do all the work, like clonking this dweeb on the head to steal his silver, and all we get is a few ounces? Oh, that ain't fair. Yeah, Shiv don't do fair, whined the first voice. He gets his way. So that's why Shiv didn't want Paul to come. He's planning a double cross. These guys cross over after us and rob whoever's coming with the silver. She couldn't stop a low growl. Shively infuriated her. She had her rifle. She could brace on the transom of the boat and pick them off quickly. Shively would have no henchmen. Hey, did you hear something? asked one of the men. They all grew silent. Susan melted down below the transom and held her breath. She knew she couldn't shoot the henchmen. The shots would alert Shively that his plan had gone wrong. Perhaps she should have instructed Paul to rob Shively to ensure that the medicine would be safe. She shook her head. Paul was too ethical to commit robbery, even from someone like Shively. To her relief, the men began to twitter softly among themselves again. She blew out a slow sigh of relief. As she was looking down, she noticed a round fitting at the bottom of the transom. It was filled with a metal disc and black rubber. A drain plug? Susan cautiously peered over the rail again. It was a drain plug. That gave her an idea. She reached down to hook her finger in the metal loop and slowly pushed it down. She couldn't risk making any noise. An aluminum boat was essentially a giant sounding board. When the lock lever stopped moving, she slowly wiggled the rubber plug out of the hole. 
There were some dry leaves in the bottom of the boat, so she raked them into a little heap to cover the now empty drain hole. What took you so long? Shively snapped. It's almost time. Aaron looked at Susan with relief and exasperation. Paul's look was more simply relief. Taking care of business, Susan said, suppressing a smile. The buzz of the drone became audible to their right. It rounded the bend in the river and headed north. Susan looked up at the sensor on the pole near them. As the drone whirred past them, unseen on the other side of the embankment, she could see the red light atop the sensor flash briefly. They all stayed motionless. The drone would pass back south in a few minutes. Shively waited two more minutes after the drone had departed on its way back to its base at Vernon. Okay, let's get across quick. How are we going to get across the river without setting off the sensors? Susan asked. I have my ways, Shively said. All four of them hurried up the embankment. Shively grasped the white sensor pole and rotated it slowly. He trotted to the next pole and twisted it in the opposite direction. You can't disable the sensors, he said. That triggers something someplace. Instead, you just adjust where they look. Now I've created a blind spot where we can cross. Susan pulled a mat of dried grasses and branches off of a green canoe that she had salvaged from one of the abandoned houses near Adele's home. Shively climbed in first with his canvas bag. See how trusting I am, Shively said over his shoulder. You've got your big bad rifle and I got nothing. Ha, and you still don't trust me. Aaron climbed in second to sit in the middle. She looked nervous. No, Shively, I don't said Susan. Paul pushed them out of the brushy inlet into the rippling and turbulent river. Susan and Shively paddled as quickly as they could to cross the open water. They rounded the northern end of the island and pulled the canoe up the bank to hide it among the marsh grasses. Susan rolled the grass mat and branches over the canoe. There, now we hunker down behind a hill and wait, said Shively. The three of them crouch-walked to the east-facing side of what little high ground the flat island offered. I don't see anybody over there yet, Shively pointed to the New Hampshire side of the river. I won't be happy at all if they don't show. I went to a whole lot of trouble for this stuff. Myth. His last word dripped in sarcasm. Susan assumed that he intended that as a threat. There's still fifteen minutes, she said. Why do you keep looking back, Shively? Susan asked. They'll be coming from the other direction. She knew well why he was looking. Shively could not entirely suppress a chuckle. Oh, just looking around while we wait. Yeah, that's all. <laughs> yeah, right. Susan joined Shively in watching the Vermont side of the river. As expected, the olive-and-tan striped boat emerged from the low brush and swamp grass. Four men sat in the little boat, all four paddling vigorously toward the island. Susan held her breath. She hoped the missing plug would work. She was having second thoughts about putting so much faith in her ad hoc plan. If the four men made it to the island, they could not only steal the silver from Cheshire, 
but they could subdue her and Aaron for whatever evil Shively's dark soul might imagine. Her worries turned into a wry smile. One of the men in the back jumped up and pointed at the bottom of the boat. He began to bail as quickly as he could, using his hat as a bucket. The man in the left front corner paddled more furiously toward the island. The man in the right rear corner began paddling back toward shore. The result was the little boat rotating in place. What the? Shively muttered. He leaned up on his hands for a better look. The four men shouted at each other, changed paddling directions, and headed back to the Vermont side. It was too late. The current had drifted the little boat into crossing one of the censors' field of view. Oh, what's going on, Shively? Susan asked coyly. Who are those men? She tried to sound naive. I don't understand, stammered Shively. They're making so much noise, whispered Aaron. Someone's going to hear them. They'll be in huge trouble. The buzz of a drone grew louder in the south. Susan, Aaron, and Shively all laid flat against the slight rise of land. As the black craft drew near, the four men each discreetly dropped a rifle over the side of the duck boat. They picked up fishing poles. The drone did two full orbits around the foundering boat before taking up a standby observer position some twenty yards to the side. A blue and white boat with an outboard engine roared around the bend. A soldier stood at the bow, his weapon at his shoulder. He shouted commands to the four half-submerged men. All four held their hands up high, as if riding a roller coaster. The power boat pulled alongside. Two other soldiers hauled the four soaked men over the blue fiberglass gunnel. With their prisoners aboard, the two soldiers lifted the swamp duck boat enough to dump out much of the water. They stuffed a rag into the open drain hole, tied a line to the bow loop, and cast it back. The blue and white boat turned and proceeded back down the river at a more stately pace, with the striped duck boat in tow. The drone took a long, slow sweep up and down the river. What the heck was that all about? Aaron whispered at last. Where did those guys come from? What did they think they were doing? Susan stared hard at Shively. He was clearly thrown off his game by the loss of his henchmen. I didn't think we should have any distractions, Susan said in a low and slightly growling tone. She held up her hand. The loop of the drain plug released lever hung from her finger. You! exclaimed Shively as he recognized the object. Me, she nodded. I told you not to try any double crosses. You knew about those men? Aaron asked Shively and Susan. Uh, what were they? Uh, wait, they were coming to rob the man with the silver, and you were going to keep the medicine. Oh, she pounded her fists rapidly on Shively's leg. He moved his leg out of her reach. Susan restrained Aaron with a hand on her shoulder. Well, why aren't you freaking out? Aaron asked Susan. The soldiers have Shively's goons. They'll tell them we're here on the island. They'll be coming back for us. I don't think so, Susan said. And why the hell not? demanded Aaron. Aaron, Susan scolded. Oh, sorry, Aaron Foe apologized. Getting captured by soldiers makes me talk bad. Tough. I'm complicated that way. We're trapped on an island, and soldiers will be coming for us in a few minutes. No, said Susan. I'm pretty sure Shively picked those men because he could cause them a lot of trouble if they didn't do exactly as he told them. 
I'll bet he told them to say they were just innocent fishermen trying to feed their starving families. Right, Shiv? They can't tell about us on the island because they know Shivley left some instructions that would ruin them somehow if Shivley were captured. Shivley only glanced around with his shifty eyes. Susan leaned close enough to Shivley to whisper privately, You know, I could just kill you right here, right now. She patted her knife handle and give the medicine to whoever is coming. I won't, though because I don't want Aaron to see someone die a horrible and painful death. She leaned back and said louder, You're going to have to go through with the deal exactly as bargained. Hey, there's someone on the other side. Aaron pointed to two shapes moving through the trees on the New Hampshire side of the river. Horses? Two of them, said Shively. Well, I'm not letting both of them cross. I'll be outnumbered four to one. Oh, you wouldn't want anyone to be outnumbered, snarked Susan. But if only one guy can cross, won't he think it'll be three to one against him? said Aaron. Won't the one guy feel outnumbered? Oh, that's not fair. Susan felt a quick flash of worry. Oh, what if they're spooked by one of them facing three strangers? What if they don't want to come over and do the deal? Well, she's got a point, Shiv. We're still lying in the leaves wearing camo. They probably haven't seen us yet. You stand up and walk over to the left. That'll draw their attention. Aaron and I will sneak to the right behind those three little pine trees and keep low. You can conduct your deal in peace. Don't get any dumb ideas about bushwhacking him. You'll be dead before you hit the ground. She slung her rifle around to drape it across her chest. Shively scowled for a long moment before impatiently waving the two girls off. They rolled and slid behind the pines and stayed low. Shively stood up and cupped his hands to his mouth. Only one of you can come across. The two men on horseback sat up taller, conversed, then shrugged with arms out. That's just how it has to be, shouted Shively. One of me and one of you. The men waved back and conversed more. One of them led his horse down to the water's edge. Cautiously, the horse chose its steps through the yellow marsh grasses. Horse and rider moved into clear water, first knee-deep, then up to the horse's belly. As horse and rider climbed up the marshy bank of the island, Susan sucked in a quick and audible gasp. What? Aaron's eyes quickly studied Susan's face, trying to divine fear or alarm. She saw only a stunned gaze. Squinting at the rider, she asked, oh, Wait, is that him? Is that Martin? Yeah, Susan said in a whisper without moving her open mouth. Whoa, really? Aaron nearly giggled. And he rides a horse. Oh, my God, that is so like Lord Hazelton. Oh, I can't believe it. This is sick great. This is the moment you've been waiting for your whole entire life. Why are you just laying there? Why aren't you running over there? No, Susan whispered. She sat stunned and transfixed. After so many months of thinking about Martin, actually seeing him disarmed her. In the back of her mind, she had argued within herself that if Martin sent someone else to pick up the medicine, that it would somehow mean he didn't truly love Margaret. That was the straw of hope she had clung to. Susan had packed all her gear to give herself the option to cross the river this time. 
nurtured by the possibility that an emissary would come for the medicine, and she would return with them. What do you mean, no? demanded Aaron. He's right over there. He does look kind of beat up, I gotta say. I never pictured Lord Hazelton with scrapes and a black eye. <laughs> but whatever. What are you waiting for? No. Susan was still not sure why she was paralyzed. He, um, still has to make the trade. Yeah, I don't want to mess up the exchange. Oh, right, Aaron nodded. Martin dismounted and spoke to Shively. Susan couldn't make out the words, but she could hear Martin's voice, his tone. He sounded exhausted. He had ridden all this way and apparently had a very tough journey. He endured all this to save his wife. All these months, Susan wanted to return to Cheshire for the feeling of belonging, for the care and attention Martin showed her. Even though none of it was untoward, she longed for the respect she felt and having a purpose. She told herself that all those things were love. But at that moment, she realized that all those things were about her. Suddenly, she thought about Martin's side. Shively set the canvas bag a couple of yards to his left. Martin set two plastic ammo boxes an equal distance to his left. The two men proceeded to the new offering to inspect them. Oh, you must be so totally jazzed right now, bubbled Aaron. I am so glad you let me come and see this. Susan ignored Aaron. She pictured how her return to Cheshire would put Martin in an awful predicament. He was clearly devoted to Margaret. Why else would a man go through what he obviously had if he didn't love her? Yet Susan knew he had feelings for her, too. Her presence might coax him to be unfaithful. He wouldn't be Martin anymore if he did. Her presence might force him to rebuff and reject her. Could she handle that? Or he might live forever torn between them. She couldn't bear to be the source of internal stress to him. Shively squatted over the boxes, counting the silver. Martin hunched over the open cardboard box, studying each of the vials. The bottom dropped out of Susan's dream world. She felt like she was falling, emotionally, and yet hovering over a bottomless chasm. She realized, with a cold shudder, that she loved Martin in a way that she hadn't imagined in a way that she had never felt for anyone before. All of those months that she had told herself that she loved Martin? All her life, love always meant how she felt. She was unprepared to realize that there was a love in which the other person was most important. Martin's well-being was more important than her dream. To make his life better, she had to not be there. It was an unwinnable game, an unsolvable puzzle. Five hundred and twenty-two ounces, said Shively, if I count the junk silver, too. Susan couldn't hear Martin's response, but his dismissive wave told the story. He didn't care if he overpaid. He was unconcerned with money, only Margaret's health. Who knows how much trouble he had to go through to get all that silver in the first place. Huh. And he doesn't care. Oh, they're packing up their stuff, said Aaron. It looks like they're all done with the deal. Okay, now you can run out there. She turned to face Susan with an eager look of anticipation. Her happy face fell away. What's wrong? asked Aaron. Why aren't you getting up and running? I... I can't. The action shifts back to Vermont in this chapter and the impending deal on that island. 
things around the homestead are getting busy with Christmas coming up. Stringing lights, setting up the tree, etc. This weekend will be busy with tasks unrelated to Christmas. Saturday is the day for harvesting the pig with the pasture. I'll be assisting with the larger tasks that are better done with a helper, and with the bigger butcher cutting. I'll bring back my portion in the cooler and do the finer cuts here at home. The bigger cuts can chill for a couple of days before I start making hams out of the bigger cuts. I'll have other things to do with the rest of my Saturday. One of those is to process my last extra rooster. I don't want him left alone down there in the half-coop all winter. Aside from it being more work for me to tend to him, it's not fair to him. Since I don't want to add anything to the freezer until I see what's left after the pig, I'll pressure can the rooster. And then, since I'll be firing up the pressure canner for what will probably be just two quarts of chicken, it's a good time to cut up that one big pumpkin so we can pressure can that at the same time. Both require 90 minutes at 10 pounds. As if that weren't enough to keep me busy on a Saturday, I also have to jar up my sauerkraut. It's been fermenting nicely in the bucket. I don't like to let it ferment more than a couple of weeks in the bucket, so the kraut retains a little crunch. Jarring it up isn't difficult, it's just another mess that I make in the kitchen. So, it's going to be a busy day. Thanks, Anne, for the coffees on Buy Me a Coffee. I hope you and the other monthly members enjoyed Chapter 10 of Book 6, posted a few days ago. If you haven't seen it yet, go check it out. I hope all of you are getting your Christmas things done in a timely manner. Part 2 of Chapter 23 comes up next week. Thanks for listening.